Well, good morning, everyone. We're uh, very excited about our week of kids camp. I got the statistics back on Friday and we had 40 percent increase in the number of kids that uh, came. So that's something to be really excited about. Absolutely. And then even more so, we had 25 kids accept Christ for the very first time. So uh, very, very cool uh, to see what God did with that. Hey, right after this celebration, if you're new or you've been checking out the jar for a little bit, I would love to meet you personally and to learn your story and to uh, share our story as well. And so uh, right after the celebration, uh, lunch will be provided. We're going to meet in the jar cafe and child care uh, will be provided as well. And we'll be done by about one o'clock so you can enjoy the rest of your afternoon. But would love for you, if you're new or you've been checking us out for a while, to uh, come and to be a part of that. Now, this morning, you can see that I brought a little friend with me. This is Rodney the Robot. Okay? So, uh, uh, Rodney, would you please say hi to the crowd here? Hello, Charlie. Would you like to say hi to him? You want to say hi back? We had people in the first actually wave at him. I'm like, all right, good job, Rodney. All right. Well, this is the cool thing about Rodney is that he can actually read people's minds. So what I'd like you to do right now is I'd like you to relax. You know, I had people say, hey, I'm so glad you're teaching on anxiety. I have anxiety. So you can just let your anxiety go. Let your mind go wherever it will. And we'll see if Rodney can help us know that. So, okay, Rodney, what is the first mind that you are reading? There is a man sitting near the doors that is planning on sleeping your Okay, you may not have heard that, but he said there is a man in this section towards the door that is thinking about sleeping. <laughs> so I don't know which one of you that is, but uh, I'm keeping my eyes on all the men in this section. Okay. All right, anyone else, Rodney? There is a woman in the far south the section of the gym that is playing on taxi while you are teaching. Okay, there's a woman on the far south side of the gym who is thinking about texting during the entire teaching. Okay, I'm looking. Everybody look. You know, make them feel guilty. Maybe that will prevent them from doing that. Okay, uh, Rodney, another person? There are several people that are concerned that you are going to talk too long. There are several people that are concerned that I'm going to talk too long. Huh. Well, Big Mike here is a prison guard. He sits up here for a reason. He will take people out if uh, you fall asleep So, uh, or you're worried about that. All right. Uh, okay. Well, Rodney, how about me? Uh, what are you thinking about me? What am I thinking right you now? You are thinking about picking your nose right now. Don't do it. All right. Get Rodney. Rodney's done. All right. You'll never get that moment of your life back again. But anyways, hopefully it brought a little laughter. This is the whole point to this. There is no robot. And there is no human being that can read your mind. But what you think about and what is in your mind is very, very important. And that leads us to our big idea this morning. It will come up on the side screens. And it's this. 
Be careful what you think about because it can cause you to forfeit your joy. Be careful what you think about because it can cause you to forfeit your joy. Scripture says this, as a person thinks in their heart, so they are. Did you have enough time to fill the first one in? Okay, let's flip that back up again. So be careful what you think about because it can cause you to forfeit your joy. You can do that on our app as well if you'd like. Okay, everybody good? All right, so scripture says this. We'll go to the next slide. As a person thinks in their heart, so they are. You know, life is not so much about what you eat as what is eating you. It's what you think about and attitude and what you think is everything. I mean, I've become more and more convinced that circumstances and situations are always going to transpire and take place in our life. And it's not so much what that circumstance or situation is, but it's our attitude toward those. What we think about, how we respond to them determines whether or not we have a joyful mind or not. You know, the word mind in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, is used 74 times. 74 times. So God was really concerned about our mind and what we would think because it is absolutely critical to how much joy you have. So be careful what you think about because it can cause you to forfeit your joy. Now, for the rest of our time, what I want to do is talk about What does a joyful mind do? If you have a joyful mind, what are you doing? What does it look like? Well, the first thing is this. The joyful mind resolves conflict. The joyful mind resolves conflict. They are a conflict resolver. Now, throughout this entire uh, summer, we've been looking at Philippians, which is a book in the New Testament, and it's all about joy. And in particular, uh, we're going to look at chapter 4, starting in verse 2. And this is what it says. I entreat Odia and I entreat Syntyche to get new names. You ever read in the Bible before and you're reading something and you have no idea how to pronounce whatever the word is? It's like these two names. Couldn't resist. All right. Paul says, I entreat Odia and I entreat Syntyche to what? What's it say? Agree in the Lord. The word entreat actually means to beg or to plead. In other words, Paul is not talking harshly, but he's talking lovingly. He's like, I'm pleading with you. I'm begging you. Would you get along? I remember growing up, my dad, uh, whenever my brother, sister and I would get in an argument, he'd be just like, Come on, can't we all get along? Have you ever heard that before from a parent or you are a parent? Just like, can we all get along? And that's what Paul's kind of saying. He's like, can we all get along? Now, the names of these two individuals are women. But we know that two women never have an argument, right? You put two women together, there's at least not at the jar, right? But these two women, for some reason, they come into an argument, some kind of spat. 
Now, the question is, what are they arguing about? What is the spat? Why does Paul have to say this? Well, it's not a doctrinal thing, because if that was the case, Paul would have taught them. And it's not a persevering in the faith kind of thing, because he would have given some encouragement. But what are they fighting about? Well, the question you have to ask yourself then is, what do most Christians fight about? And what do most Christians fight about? Trivial things. Trivial things. And I think that's the reason why Paul doesn't mention it here is because they're trivial. They're little. They're silly. I mean, maybe Odia and Syntyche both signed up to serve in hospitality. And when they got ready to determine who was going to be the front greeter, they both raised their hand. But the person only chose Syntyche. And all of a sudden, Odia is like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe they chose her over me. And now I have to clean the, the jar cafe. And I gotta make coffee and I gotta do all that stuff. And all of a sudden, there's this argument. Or maybe Syntyche had a birthday for her son. And she sent a nice invitation to Odia and said, please RSVP by this time. Odia does not RSVP, but she shows up not only with one person, but a whole clan of people show up at their house. I mean, I don't know about you, but I get mad just thinking about that. Or maybe they were both trying to get to park here at the Y. And Odia just kind of cuts in front of Syntyche and gets the parking space. And all of a sudden, they're irked off at her. Well, I don't know what the conflict was, but whatever it was, it must have been silly and little and trivial. So be careful what you think about in conflicts because it can cause you to forfeit your joy. Now, what trivial conflicts or when they come up and they will like some of you are going to have an argument maybe even before you get to the car or on the drive from church to wherever you're going well if trivial conflicts come up let me give you the wisest counsel i know on what you should say to that person get over it okay It's very easy. If it's real trivial, it's small, it's no big thing. Like, just get over it. I mean, how many problems could be resolved with those three short words? Get over it. Ah, yeah, I should. It's not a big deal. For example, this week, I'm driving my car, and all of a sudden, this work truck pulls out in front of me, right in the middle. So I swerve not to hit the truck to go around. I get to the next stop sign. The person comes up in the truck, rolls down the window, starts yelling and cussing. Rah, 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 you pulled out in front of me. And I'm like, dude, you were in the middle of the road. Now, I did have some choice words that I was thinking in my head. But because I was teaching on resolving conflict, I decided not to say those words. And my daughter and her friend were in the back as well. And so this guy says this piece. I just roll up the window and I go away. And he followed behind me, you know, like he was going to do something real big and bad. And then that was it. But it's trivial. But sometimes what happens, we get very consumed by that when we should just be like, all right, he went off. 
I'm going to get over it. You know, the problems between these two women in particular come down to one word. And it's a word that gets in our way with conflicts as well. And the word is pride. Pride. Pride is the landmine in the middle of our joy. And it is just waiting for some offense or for some slight to us. And it wants to detonate and explode. I mean, for some of us folks, it does not take much for our pride to bring out a conflict. For instance, this guy got so mad, he had to stop beside me, cuss me out, and drive behind me. Why? Because somehow he thought I went around him, and I don't get it. Someone looks at you the wrong way. Jennifer, a couple of weeks ago, uh, our friends at a birthday party. And so she sent an email to this person and said, hey, we're in. She RSVP'd. And then she called her later on on the phone. She texted her, actually, and said, if you need help with anything, I'd like to help. Well, the friend never called back or never texted back and said, oh, okay, we could use help or no, we don't need help or anything. And all of a sudden, Jen's like, she's mad at me. I said, well, why is she mad? Because she didn't text me back. And I said, well... How could you deduce that she was mad when there could be like thousands of reasons why she didn't do that? Nope, she's mad. And she goes, you're taking them to the birthday party because I know she's mad. (laughs) So I go to the birthday party. I get there. I'm like, hey, how you guys doing? They're like, oh, great. They're like, we've been in Scotland the last two weeks. (laughs) Woo, they were hot. But you see how conflicts can happen and people can think about something very, very small. Someone's at Walmart. They don't wave at you. Ugh, it must be mad. Maybe your neighbor mows a little bit over your side of the yard or they don't mow their yard at all. Okay, no confession time. But Or your wife or your girlfriend, you know, uh, walks in front of the television while you're watching your sporting event and you go like off on her, ticked off. Maybe someone says something to one of your kids or they're actually messing around and someone says, like, stop doing this. And you get ticked and mad and then you put on the boxing gloves. And I've seen moms like, like, go at it. I'm like, your kid was messing up, though. Someone needed to do something. Let me just give something to everyone here at church. You ever see either one of my girls doing something that they shouldn't do? You can correct them. I want you to do that. We're family. You should want that to happen, okay? Man, when they get home, I'll tell you what. No, I'm joking. (laughs) But, folks, this is what happens. When conflict surfaces, regardless of what it is, try to resolve it quickly. Don't let it fester for a period of time. Don't wait until tomorrow. Don't wait until next week. Don't wait until you feel about it. Because this is what I found. When conflict happens and he goes, well, I'll handle it when I feel like it. You know when that day comes? Never. Never comes. Growing up as a kid, I remember that I uh, uh, stepped on a splinter, got in the bottom of my foot. And my mom said, uh, well, I got some tweezers. We can get it out right now. It'll be no problem. I'm like, oh, no. I think I was six or seven, maybe 16 or 17. I'm not sure. But, uh, oh, no, you know, uh, no, you can't do that. And she's like, okay, well, it could get infected. Well, sure enough, several days later of not doing anything with it, got infected. Now, in the 1970s, Uh, When you had a splinter in your foot and it was infected, this is what my dad thought was a good idea. 
you take a needle, you put it over the stove with fire, and then all of a sudden you dig, because now it's sterile. You know, it's all sterile. Now you dig in that person's foot until you get the splinter out. And he did. And it was so painful and it hurt. And I kept thinking, if I would have only done the tweezers, like at the beginning. Same thing with conflict. Conflict happens, just small, but all of a sudden you don't do anything to it. It festers for a while. And resentment and bitterness and pain increases because you let it go. If we always resolve conflict as quickly as possible, then it is amazing how less painful and hurt feelings and those things take place. Now, I realize that people handle conflict differently. I learned this in the first two years of my marriage. Jennifer and I would get in an argument, a conflict. I'm going off. I want to resolve it right now. And she would just cower, cry, go off to her room. It's like, what's going on? Well, now I realize when Jennifer and I get in a conflict, she needs to process the stuff and not just deal with it right in the moment. So we have what we call the two-hour rule, that if a conflict comes up, there's argument, she can pull away from two-hour and process it. Now, I, on the other hand, am a person that wants to handle it immediately. Whenever it is, I want to deal with it right then. I want it to be done. Now, here's here's the problem with being an immediate conflict resolution person. You might say something really dumb and you might regret it and you might cause some pain to the other person. So I've had to learn to slow down. Now, the problem with process oriented people, too, is this is what Jen's done before. She goes away. She processes it. She figures it all out. And then she goes on with life like nothing happened. I'm like, we haven't even talked about this yet. She's like, well, I processed it. I was like, well, I haven't. And typically, people marry each other with two very different of those styles. Now, sometimes we need a little time for a conflict. In our marriage, it's two hours. It could be different for yours. But it should never be more than a day. And why is that? Because Scripture tells us this. Don't let the sun set on your anger. In other words, don't let the conflict Go beyond the sun being set. Verse 3, our text goes on. Yes, I ask you also, Paul is talking, true companion, help these women. So these two women, Odia and Syntyche, they're in this fight. We don't know what it is. It seems trivial. And now he says, help. Now, when he says help, he's not like, hey, could, could you help out? Got this whole issue going on. Do you help out? He's like, please! He's like, help! I need help. Can you help in this situation? We need your help. Folks, when you see people who call themselves Christ followers quarreling over trivial issues, you should ask this question Is this really fighting over? Is this really worth fighting over? And sometimes it shouldn't even be a question, it should be a statement. This is not worth fighting over. Verse 3 goes on. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. No matter who you are, no longer how far you've gone in your relationship with Christ, wherever you're at on the spiritual spectrum, we all get off track sometimes. 
So Paul says, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. He's like, come on, guys, let's get together. We can resolve this. Let us help these women to have this conflict taken care of whose name is in the book of life. In other words, these were people who were dedicated. Their place in heaven was set. Now, let me say this. Most things can be resolved. In fact, I would go as far to say 90, 95% of every conflict that will happen in your life, you can resolve it. You might have to give up. You may have to negotiate. You may have to do different things. You may not get your way, but you could resolve it. But sometimes there are some things that cannot be resolved. So in these situations, the Bible says this, if it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, sometimes it's not possible. As far as it depends upon you, anytime you have a conflict, it's not just one person that it depends upon, right? It always depends on both people to resolve it. In all the different conflicts I've had, and believe me, I've had tons of them, just recent. There's only two out of all of these, two people out of all these who have walked away from wanting to resolve something with me. Just two out of thousands. Folks, sometimes it's not possible to resolve things. And you shouldn't beat yourself up and go, oh, I'm the horrible person. But if you've done everything that you can to resolve it, and at the end of the day, it may not depend upon you. Some people get stubborn. They get angry. They have hard hearts. They don't want to resolve anything. And at that moment, you have to walk away from that. But this isn't an out to be like, oh, well, I'm not going to deal with that. No, no, no. You should do everything that you can in your power to resolve that conflict as far as it depends upon you at your end. Be at peace. Work for peace. Now, when a conflict takes place, there are three questions you should ask yourself. The first one is this. Is this matter of eternal importance? Is this a matter of eternal importance? If not, what's it say? What is it? Let it go. If it's not a matter of eternal importance, I should let it go. When this guy cussed me out in his car, let it go. Second thing. Is this a matter of biblical conviction? If not, what? Let it go. Have you ever asked yourself regarding a conflict? Could I turn to a specific passage. And I've done this before sometimes when people are doing this. I'll be like, hey, here's a scripture. But you know what? It has to be very clear. You can't put something in there that, you know, is a little bit more. Gossip is a great one. If you know someone's gossiping and you go, it says, do not gossip. Now, you don't have to go beyond that and go, do not gossip. Now, I know what you said to Joe and Fred and you did it on Facebook. and No, 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 no. You just added everything to Scripture. All you have to say is this. You know what people do with Scripture sometimes, though? They'll pull something out and they'll say, hey, look at this. And then they interpret it their way so that they win. I won. And that's a horrible way. 
But sometimes with biblical conviction, if there is something, it's okay. But if it's not, then let it go. Third thing, is this a matter in which we must agree? If not, let it go. For example, if we took the different thoughts of the situation in Syria and North Korea, there would be some people in this crowd today that would be like, we should bomb them, take them out. Other people would be like, oh, we shouldn't do anything. We should just stay away. And there would be other thoughts all the way in between those two. And in this gathering this morning, I am not naive to know that there are some Republicans and Democrats and independents who are in this place right now. And they will disagree about things. And this is something that hit me this week. Jesus did not die for politics. Jesus died for people. Jesus did not die for politics. Jesus died for people. So with everything else, we have to ask, is this a matter in which we must agree upon? And if not, what? What do you do? You let it go. Augustine, the great uh, Christian theologian and leader, he said this. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, what's it say? What is it? Love. Well, Paul goes on in verse 4 and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Our joy ultimately comes in our relationship with Jesus. So Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now, this word reasonableness has a couple different definitions. The first one is the definition of gentleness, that you would want to be a gentle person. The second kind of definition to it is not to demand your legal rights, that I choose not to demand my legal rights. You know, there are people, including myself, I have forfeited so much joy in my life before because I want to be right and I want my legal right in whatever the altercation is. It is my right. I deserve it. I demand it. But if you look at Jesus's life, what do you realize more than anything else? He was a person who did not exert his rights. I mean, if anyone had a right to do anything they wanted anytime, it was the one who was God's son. But he chose not to. And exerting my rights is incompatible with a joyful heart. Several years ago, Jennifer and I uh, went with her family to spend an entire week on a houseboat in Del Hollow. That was an experience. In-laws for a whole week on a houseboat that you cannot leave. We did not kill each other. And it wasn't so bad. But one particular day we decided, hey, we do need to do something a little outside of this. And so we went and we rented a Sea-Doo, a wave runner. We get this wave runner and we use it all day. It's going great. And at the end of the day, my uh, mother-in-law said, hey, we need some milk for some cooking and for breakfast in the morning. Can you go get it? And I'm like, yeah. So I get on my wave runner. I go up, you know, I, I get this uh, particular milk. I put it in the back. I'm like, I could go back home. Or I could have a little bit more fun. 
So I get on it and I'm like going the opposite direction of where we had docked the houseboat and I'm having fun. And then I'm like, "Ah, I better turn around. So I turn around, I start going all of a sudden the engine dies. Nothing at all. You can't move it. There's nothing. I try all the things, start everything. This was uh, long before I had any cell phone. So we're trying to get all this, you know, try to get it all worked together. Nothing. So the sun is setting. I get on top of the wave runner and I'm yelling at people. You know how people always say, oh, people in Tennessee, they're so kind. They're so loving. People down south, they weren't that day. They all drove by me. They're like waving at me. No problem. I'm like, you know, like stress, you know, I'm in distress. So finally I think, well, maybe I could swim this thing back. I have no idea where I'm at. I'm on the back of it now. I'm kicking my legs trying to move this wave runner. Finally, I'm like, well, that's not going to work. So I get back on. I start yelling again. And now, I mean, the sun is just about ready to set. It is dark and it is bad. All of a sudden this boat comes up. There's these two guys. They were a little bit inebriated, but at that point, I didn't care. I'm like, dude, hey, help me out. And they're like, oh, yeah, buddy, get on it, you know? So they tie me onto the back. They take me back to my boat, and I'm like, ah, well, I'll call them in the morning, tell them, hey, what's going on? I get up, call in the morning. They don't answer. Call a couple hours later. No answer. Call several times that entire day. No answer. Five minutes before this place is supposed to close, I call again. Someone picks up the phone. They're like, well, bud, you got to bring this in here. I'm like, dude, it doesn't run. That's not my problem. <laughs> so my father-in-law gets our little rowboat, fishing boat, that's attached to the houseboat. We tie a rope uh, to the sea on the back of that. But when you try to, you know, take a rowboat, and you're trying to pull something, immediately the front end goes up like this. So it's like this. I'm on the back of the sea-doo holding onto it. We finally get to the place. We get all the way there. They're like, what's the problem? I'm like, dude, the engine died. Oh, can't do anything about it till the mechanic gets here on Monday. I'm like, are you serious? And all of a sudden, I exerted my rights. I'm like, I paid the money. I was out there all night. I've tried to call you guys. You didn't do anything. I want a refund of my money. I want it now. I want it now. Sorry, till the mechanic comes in on Monday, we can't do anything. Are you kidding me? So we leave. We go home. I call the next day. I go, hey, what's going on? But you know what? Again, no one answered the phone. No one answers the phone on Monday. So I leave a message exerting my rights on what I thought they needed to do and where they needed to stick their sea do. I leave that message, no response. Another week goes by, I send an email. Another week goes by, I send a fa- uh, fax, no response. Finally, I said, I've had it. I disputed the cost, and I told my credit card company, don't pay it. Well, they called me back then. They called me back, they're like, hey, we, we, we want to resolve this. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I want my money. They're like, no, we can't do that. I'm like, I want my money. Like, we can't do that. Finally, they're like, how about if we send you a one-day pass? And you can use it any time that you come back. You can use one of ours. And if I had not been reading during that short period of time, 
that passage in Philippians 4, 5. Let your reasonableness and gentleness be known to everyone. I may have done something different. And I was like, okay. Well, I go ahead and uh, I get this certificate. There's an expiration date on it in one year. All of a sudden, I think to myself, they are stealing my rights. They are taking me to the cleaners. I am done with this. And I'm just about ready to pick up the phone and go off again. And then all of a sudden, I remembered again. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And so I just ask them, hey, sorry that this happened. But you said, you know, I could use it any time. But if there's expiration, oh, I'm sorry. I'll send you another one. And it resolved itself. Now, this is what I learned from this whole ordeal. Up with my rights, down with joy. Every time I want my rights more than anything else, down with joy. You know, folks, there are some things that God has taught me that I learned, and I don't ever have to return to it. But this is one thing that I haven't. Maybe you're a very gentle person and uh, you are reasonable and you finally figure things out and you're like, you know what, I'm going to let this one go. I'm going to give it a pass or oh, I'm going to fight for this because this really is something. But you have that ability to know that. I have a really hard time sometimes not demanding my rights. And sometimes, unfortunately, I can be a jerk. And so I've had to learn to be what it means to be reasonable and gentle. Now, that Dale Hollow experience took place 13 years ago, and we had our, uh, my in-laws over yesterday for uh, lunch, and we went fishing. I said, hey, you remember that? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, do you think I've improved any in this area? And they're like, no, you really have. You really have. And I was like, you're good. You're good. But there are still certain situations, folks, in my life that come up, And I feel like when I've been wronged and I go off and then I wonder, man, God, am I learning anything? You ever feel that way? So Paul goes on and says, let your reasonableness, your gentleness be known to everyone because why? What's it say? The what? The Lord is at, he's at hand. You know, this is sometimes hard to accept, but there is only one Lord. And guess what? You're not it. You're not it. I'm not it. There is only one Lord. We are not the ruler. We're not the ones in charge. Jesus and Jesus alone is. So it's no surprise that any time I exert my rights or I want my rights and I want them more than anything else, my joy goes down. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. But, Chris, if I give up my rights... Doesn't that produce some anxiety for me? What do you guys think? Does it? Yes, it does. Does giving up your rights, humbling yourself before others, putting arrogant people who cuss at you or they're difficult, maybe even people who you work with who are very annoying, does giving up your rights produce anxiety? Yes. But now you're ready to understand Philippians 4, 6 which I know is the reason why many of you came today, because you battle anxiety, and here it is. Verse 6 says this, Do not be anxious about anything. 
And here is our second thing in a joyful mind, what it does. It removes anxiety. A joyful mind removes anxiety. Now, the type of anxiety that Paul is referring to here is the way in which we can test for our rights. It's here in the context of giving up my rights, that if I give them up, then I won't be as anxious. Some of you are like, yeah, preacher boy, but what are you saying? If I give up my rights, then who's going to stand up for me? Who's going to take care of me? Who's going to make sure that all things work out the way they're supposed to? Well, God will. And you're like, well, I'm not so sure if God will do that. Well, don't be anxious. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Do you know what the word anxiousness or anxiety means in this context? A divided mind. Every time you're anxious, every time you're worried, you have a mind that becomes divided. And God never intended you to have a a divided mind, but he wanted you to have a holistic mind. And that's why Jesus said these very important words. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. You know, I don't think there's maybe anything that grieves the heart of God more than when his kids worry. When he's the God of the universe, he's done everything, he's done amazing things in your life and in the world, he can do anything and everything that he wants, and yet you worry and you become anxious about whatever that is. And why do we worry? Because we have a divided mind. It's not whole. And so God's like, what are you worried about? And all of a sudden you give this laundry list. These are the things. This is what it is. Folks. Look to the side screens because this quote is really important. Some of you might want to write it down. The next one. Worry doesn't change tomorrow, but it sure can rob the joy God wants to give you today. Every time you're focused in on anxiety and worry and you're overwhelmed by it, it never changes anything, does it? But it can rob the joy that God would want to give you in that day. I mean, God wants to give you joy. He longs for your joy meter to be full. Again, verse 6 says, do not be anxious about, what's the next word? What is it? What is anything? Anything. (laughs) It's kind of hard to define, isn't it? Anything. We are not to worry about nothing, nada, not a thing. I mean, if you have a relationship with God, there's no reason for you to be worried about anything. But let me ask you this. Is worry and anxiety a big problem in our culture? Yeah. It's like gigantic. I read some statistics this week. One out of every three people in the United States seeks professional help for issues of fear or anxiety. So if we went down a line and we went through everybody, one out of three of you are seeking help for fear or anxiety. Some doctors estimate that 75% of all illnesses is traceable directly or indirectly to the effects of fear and anxiety and worry that has on the hearts of people. Anybody want to take a guess how much pharmaceutical 
drugs we spend on anxiety in the United States? $42 billion. B, $42 billion is spent by Americans on medication to control the side effects and symptoms of anxiety. Now, let me say this. Some of us need anxiety medicine. We do. You should not take it and think, oh, I'm weak. I'm not as strong as somebody else. There was a season in my life where anxiety consumed me. And for a six-month period, I was on an anti-anxiety medicine because I needed it. But this is something that I see all the time is that some people just think, well, if I just take the pill, then everything will be fine. And folks, you need other things around you. Counselors, people, scripture, memorization. I'll give you a couple of things here in a little bit of practical things that you need to fill your mind with other than just a pill. Take the pill. But also there's some other things because God says we are not to be anxious about anything. Be anxious about nothing. What's that mean, Chris? What if my friend's anxious about something? What if I, I have a health issue? What happens if one of my kids? What if it have, happens something to my spouse? What? <laughs> Folks, I didn't put this in here. Like if it were me, I would probably do this. Do not be anxious about very many things. But I didn't write it. Jesus said... Don't be anxious about anything. Paul affirmed it, and it's clear that we're not to do that. Now, you might say, but it's hard. Yeah, it's really hard. I fail at it all the time. That's why I have to have some tools around me, and I'll talk about it here in just a second. Three tools that I use. But it's so clear throughout Scripture that God says again and again, do not be anxious about Anything. Yeah, but what about terrorism? What about South Korea? What about North Korea? What about Syria? What about the issues of Russia, cyber attacks, cancer, addiction, school systems struggling? What do I do? How can I possibly not worry about anything? Well, Paul gives us how we do that. Do not be anxious about anything, but in, what's the next word? Everything. Another all-encompassing word. Everything by, what's the word? Prayer and supplication. So every time that I'm anxious and worried about something, the thing I should do first is go to my knees in prayer for myself. The things that I'm anxious about. And supplication is praying for those things that you're anxious for other people that they're going through. God is like, I want to hear from you. Don't try to do it on your own, but come to me. But do it through prayer for yourself. God, I need it. And for other people. Folks, God looks down from heaven and he says, so you've been struggling with this, are you? Well, will you come to me? And each time that we do, he's like, great, I've been waiting for you. And you know what? No matter what you tell me, what's going on, what you're anxious about, I love you, I'm with you, I'm for you. Folks, God knows everything, so just tell him about it so that he can help you through that process. So if we pray with thanksgiving... For all that God has done, he will do something amazing for us. Guess what happens? 
when we live that way. The scripture says this, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your hearts be made known to God and the, what's the next word? What is it? Not just any peace though, the peace of what? The peace of God will come, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying here is he's saying, if you'll come to me and you'll pray and you'll ask for it, I will come and give you a peace that this world does not understand. For a long time, I always thought this concept of peace was like, oh, I'm finally at peace. I'm good. I'm peace. But this particular verse is not that kind of peace. You want the peace that he's talking about here is that you actually look at the situation and the circumstance not through your eyes. You step aside and you see it through God's eyes. And when you do that, you have peace about it. I remember one time I, I was thinking that the whole world was going to end, many struggles going on in ministry. And this guy that I reached out to, he says, you know, if everyone left, everything was gone, you were the only person, your wife left you, everybody left you, you know what? God would still love you. And I thought, Wow, that's God's perspective. That's not my perspective. And there was a peace that came because of that. And now I look at this scripture very differently. It's not like, oh, peace, man, or oh, I feel at peace. It's like, oh, I have peace because I see it through God's lens. And it's really not as big as what I thought. Folks, God's understanding is always better than my understanding every single time. And his understanding brings me peace, which ultimately produces joy in my life. So a joyful mind resolves conflict, it removes anxiety, and then finally it reviews the good. It reviews the good. So what is good? I mean, if I'm not thinking about conflict and I'm not worrying about the future, what am I going to be thinking about? I mean, if I'm not thinking about the guy that, you know, drove up beside me and cussed me out and I'm not ticked off by that and I'm not thinking about all the dark stuff that's going on in the world, what am I going to be thinking about? Great questions. The answer is found in verse eight. Paul says, this is what you should think about. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is, what's the word? True. What's that mean? This means allowing my reality to be shaped by God. And God's word and some godly people. Next word, whatever is what? Honorable. Think about honorable things, not gossip, not things that put people down. Be dignified. Next word, what is it? Whatever is? Just. When you're thinking about getting even all the time, there's no joy in that. Whatever is what? Pure. What is it that will help me to be having innocent thoughts, uncorrupted, How much joy do we lose because of impure thoughts? Whatever is pure. Whatever is, what's the next word? Lovely. This word means fun. That's what it actually means. That you, you're, you focus on the lovely, the fun, the joy, the creation that God has for us, doing it for His glory. Whatever is what? What's the word? Commendable. It is what you admire in others. It's good sounding words. Folks, a joyful mind reviews the good and joy is only quenched 
when wrong actions are contemplated. When we want our way, when we want to get even, when we want to win at all costs, joy is quenched. Verse 8 continues, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, if anything's excellent or worthy of praise, think. Your mind, think about these things. But folks, so often, what do we do? We focus on the depressing thing, the discouraging thing, the sad thing, the thing from our past, the worry about the future, rather than focusing on what is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. If you go to the jar office, you go down our hallways, all these words are up in the hallways because I want every one of our staff people, when they're walking through the hallways, that their minds are thinking and focused on what is true, what is pure, what is on and on and on. You know, many times the reason our lives get filled with depression and anxiety is because we focus on those things and then Anxiety hits. So this morning, I rarely do this. I was praying just before we came in the first celebration. And I felt like God was saying, Chris, I want you to tell people what you do to overcome anxiety. So this is nowhere to be found, but I'm going to give you these three. And thank you, Mikey, for doing this quickly. First one, journaling. First thing I do when I wake up in the morning, I write down the things that are praiseworthy, and I write them in a little book. I tell people, if you're starting this, just get a really small little book like this size, a little spiral bound, open it up, and write down three things that you're thankful for. They could be little things, big things, small things, great things, whatever. But rather than going to the television, rather than eating, rather than anything else, the very first thing you do is you go, God, I'm thankful for these things. And you journal that down. My journaling time goes on to other things, but that's a great first place to start. Second thing, memorize scripture. There are things that are in your mind that you think about all the time. You've memorized those. Why not memorize some things that will help you? That verse in Philippians 4, 6 is a great one. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, with a thankful heart, Give praise to God, and he will bring peace to you. Uh, scripture I memorize all the time. Uh, when I was younger, and man, I've been using it a lot lately. Joshua 1.9. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I do that on a daily basis so I don't forget it. When things happen, last thing, relaxed breathing. I've just tried this in the last five years. This is what I do. I start thinking about all the things I have to do in the day and I start feeling anxious. I feel anxious about something I said the day before or something that's coming up in the future. And so this is what I do. I I breathe in. God's goodness, his love, his grace, he cares for me. What is true, pure, commendable, just. I blow out my worry, my frustration, my concern, my anxiety. And I do that until I finally am at peace with God and I can go on with my day. And folks, some people say, well, I can't do that because that will take too much time. Do you want to be anxious all day? 
Go ahead, don't do it. And that leads us to our final thing. Verse 9, it says this. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. What's the next word? Practice these things. And the God of peace, what's it say? Will be with you. But you've got to practice it. I can't do that for you. I can't read your Bible for you. I can't pray for you uh, outside of, you know, hey, Chris, I want you to pray for this. You've got to do that. This is the bottom line. You put these things into practice and over time, joy fills your life. I mean, there are times in my life when I lose joy and I can immediately come back to the fact I'm not doing those three things. I'm trying to control things. But joy is found exactly in this study. Key verse of this whole series and what I've been talking about is verse 4. And it says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Joy comes, folks, when we put the worries and anxieties, which are all about us, we give them to God. And we take the focus off of me, 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 and we put the focus on Jesus where it's deserved. For the essence of joy, as I talked about throughout this series, is allowing Jesus to be first, others second, and then myself last. So let me just close by asking you, How are you doing with resolving conflicts? If we were to ask your family, people closest to you, people you work with, hey, does this person get over conflict quickly or are they always an instigator? What would they say? What about removing anxiety? Not worrying and giving into things. Do you have any plan like my plan? You can steal that plan. I'm sure I took it from someone. But are you doing anything so that your mind is focused on things that you don't have to worry or be anxious about? And are you reviewing the good? Do you do that? Do you take the time to think, man, I want to focus my mind today on what is pure and just and honorable and commendable and lovely? How are you doing with that? So I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up right now. And if you'd like prayer for anything, um, these folks will be at the side screens and they would love to pray with you. If you're like dealing with some anxiety or there's a conflict going on, don't leave today. Just go up and get some prayer. And uh, maybe today, as Emily was talking about that baptism thing earlier, you're like, I've never been baptized. I need to make that commitment. And you could do that today. You just go on the app, say I'm in, go to the resource table, say I'm in. And one of the most joyous moments of my life took place on October 1st, 1983, when I was baptized into Christ and I was fully received by him. And your day could be August 20th. You could do it and sign up. And next week we'll have our first class. Now, maybe for some of you, you're here for the first time and uh, you're like, man, God's nowhere on my radar. But I've been battling anxiety. There's conflicts in my world. I don't see much good. 
If that's you and you're like, man, I need a change, Jesus is your change. And you can say, I need your forgiveness, I need your love, I need your grace. And Abby is back here in this corner, and she would love to be able to pray with you, to help you to make that commitment, to give you a free Bible to help you with your walk. So if you'd like to do that right after the celebration, just go directly there, and she could do that with you. Let's stand for closing prayer. Well, loving God, we thank you so much for what you uh, did in this place today. We thank you, God, for sending Jesus to save us and to make us new. Thank you that we can live a joyful life with a joyful mind and that we don't have to be anxious and worried and filled with conflict with people around us but that you really can give us your peace. So Jesus, help us this week to resolve our conflicts quickly, to remove anxiety away from us, to to just give that to you, to lay it at your feet. And God, that we would review the good things and to focus on them. Help us daily, God, to practice these things. We'll only get better and we'll only have more joy when we practice these things. So that we can live a life with a joyful mind. So I pray that you would do this, Jesus, for your sake and for your honor. Because you are the greatest producer of joy. We pray this in your name.